Well, welcome, folks, to another edition of Digging In, Missouri Farm Bureau's podcast. I'm your host this week, Dan Ingeman, and I serve as Director of Regulatory Affairs. Um, I'm joined by Lucy Fletcher, uh, Director of Business Development for Agri-Services of Brunswick, the largest port on the Missouri River. And Lucy, uh, Happy New Year. Thanks for joining us. Uh, This podcast has been in the works for a while now. We've had to cancel due to scheduling issues in the holidays, but we finally made it it happen today and always good to talk to you. Hi, Dan. Uh, Good to talk to you too, and Happy New Year's as well. Yeah. Uh, Lucy, uh, you and I have known each other for a while now. I've served in different roles, but always connected to river issues. I consider you, you know, really one of the country's uh, greatest champions for inland waterway transportation, especially when it comes to the Missouri River. Can you start by telling our listeners uh, maybe about yourself, about agri-services of Brunswick? Just just um, help us uh, set the stage for what you do and what your uh, what your company does. Well, I appreciate the compliment, Dan, and I, I continue to learn every day. Yeah, I'm the business development manager for agri-services of Brunswick. Um, Agri-Services of Brunswick, and I'll call it ASB going forward just because it's so much easier. We're an LLC that was um, formed between a partnership with MFA, which I think a lot of your listeners are probably familiar with, and the Brunswick River Terminal. Um, The Brunswick River Terminal was formed by my father, and that's how I ended up in the business um, in 1977 when he was having a hard time transportation issues, getting enough fertilizer um, by rail and some reliability issues, rail reliability issues in the 70s. So they looked for a piece of property that would have um, good river access, um, access to um, a good rail system. We're on the Norfolk Southern and also um, a good highway access. We're on Highway 24, um, just in between DeWitt, Missouri and Brunswick, Missouri. So, Lucy, why is the Missouri River so important to ASB, and what does it mean for Missouri farmers? Well, Dan, I think that there's a lot at stake for Missouri farmers as far as the um, being able to use the Missouri River for navigation. Um, we're, it's the best way to move high-bulk, low-value products. And by what I mean by low-value, I mean we're not moving jewelry, we're not moving iPads, we're moving... Um, grain that's all of our barges that are loaded are going out through the Gulf and the fertilizer that comes in is coming in from the Gulf. So it's really a way to get those large quantities in. You know, I think all of us, whether we're looking back at 10, 15, 20 years, have seen some form of uh, transportation disruption, whether it's um, varying fuel prices. Um, You know, several years ago, we saw some rail shortages when there was a lot of uh, um, rail cars going up into the upper basin um, when they started um, fracking in the the Bakken basin. We've seen um, you know truck driver shortages, and we've also seen high and low water. So I you know I think that in order to get um, crop inputs in and to be able to get the products that the farmers grow to market that we're that we really have to use all forms of transportation and and so the missouri river is important not only for that um but we've got over 500 miles of free-flowing um missouri river and all of that water flows into the mississippi river 
And so it's, it's important not only for the movement of our product, um, but our products, you know, I always say our product doesn't stop at the arch and neither does our water. And so as we're looking at, you know, the low water that we've experienced over, you know, this last season, um, water coming off the Missouri River is critical to what's, um, to all the products being moved on the Mississippi River. Um, it, in relating back to our farmers, you know, I think it's important to note that, um, you know, there's 676 million acres of farmland that are adjacent to the Missouri River. So between moving products that the farmers grow and having a system that can protect their acreage, um, there, there's a lot at stake. Yeah, for sure. And and I think, you know, the figures you're throwing out there, uh, from my understanding, that that is, uh, you know, just specific to the state of Missouri alone. And you think about how the Missouri River uh, goes, uh, you know, north to, to Sioux City, that you can navigate to Sioux City, Iowa. It used to be a, a major port there. Um, here in the last couple of years, we've seen a new, new port just uh, essentially at, at Sioux City. So uh, certainly a lot of uh, uh, growing interest um, in the river. And, and really, I think that has been uh, spurred by, you know, what you all have done in AgriServices Brunswick ASB and proving that it can work. And other people are seeing that and then trying to replicate it. Am I correct? Oh, thanks, Dan. Yeah. And I appreciate that clarification because we've seen, you know, in um, 2008, we were the only um, port terminal on the Missouri River that was actively um, using the Missouri River and what a what a really wasted resource and um, you know it just has so much potential and I know that there are so many of us that are passionate about it that's been you know it's been a lot of fun and I know you've been watching this too Dan to see you know Port Casey come on and um, you know the port up in Blincoe and St. Joe's become more active and Howard Cooper port. And I mean, all up and down the system, I don't want to leave anybody out, but it's, it's, uh, I, I think that we're not the only ones that see the importance of um, transportation and reliable transportation systems and using all modes of transportation. Yeah, that that's great. You know, as I like to say, success builds success. So uh, you all are at the, at the center of it and leading the way and appreciate uh, you know, your commitment to the river and keeping that that mode of transportation open uh, for, our, for our farmers. Um, talk about, so uh, we talked about low water, but let's, let's go back a little bit to the record duration 2019 flood and what that did to the navigation channel. Um, you, you know, and if you could talk about the uh, post-flood construction efforts to repair the channel, because really, unprecedented amount of uh, construction activity that's going on uh, right now. Can you talk to our listeners about that? Yeah. And a lot of people listening had had just a real world experience with the 2019 flood at ASB. We ended up just basically becoming an island and, you know, our folks were boating in and out. And it was it was obviously a tough year for navigation. Um, but I tell you what, we have just seen the Corps of Engineers and, and our, um, our congressional representatives step up and um, show their commitment to the system and to invest in the repairs that are, that are needed. Um, it's, it's, um, 
it's been referred to, and Dan, I think it was you, it's a once in a generation opportunity and, and they're investing $468 million in channel improvements um, for the Missouri River Navigation Channel. Um, the Kansas City District has awarded over um, $200 million in rock contracts and has placed nearly 1.5 million tons uh, with projected 2025 completion date. And this has just been a breath of fresh air for our system. You know, we had 10 years of deferred maintenance where there was a lot of attention being um, paid to um, environmental issues. And, and, you know, we are all as farmers and as river advocates, we're all supportive of a strong, healthy system, but it's, we're supportive of that system for not only for the uh, fish and wildlife that rely on it, but for them, for the human species as well. And the Kansas City District has really stepped up and um, are making the repairs to the dikes and, and revetments that had seen deferred maintenance and it had been um, notched. And the contr control structures um, at the construction uh, at the shallow water habitat shoots for the pallid sturgeon are now being um, enhanced to restrict the flows going through and to keep more water in the channel. And that's, that was an issue um, for many years. And so it's really, you know, encouraging to see those repairs being made to the system post 2019 flood. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You and I have been at the center of that and advocating for those funds and and, uh, you know, I think when we originally advocated for those, we asked for, for capability, you know, to, to match the district's capability, what they could, could carry out. And, and but, uh, you know, and, and, you know, we've had some large appropriations with, with uh, COVID recovery and such, but, but my gosh, $468 million, who would ever thought? Um, and so what I want to hone in on next, though, I've heard you say, you know, the rock that's been placed, you know, you talked about how um, it, it, it won't be finished until 2025, but what has been placed so far has really kept you in business in this, this low water year, right? I, I believe I've heard you say that. Oh, absolutely. You know, this is one of the first years that we didn't have a stoppage. And by a stoppage, I mean, where, you know, where you've got boats grounding, splitting apart, um, you know, and, and when that happens, it becomes a really dangerous situation when you've got barges, you know, free flowing down the Missouri River towards um, bridges, etc. And, and this year, we didn't have that we didn't have any stoppages. And we had, you know, some of the lowest um, water levels that that any of us in this industry have seen, and we still had a navigable channel. And it's because of the course focusing on industry identified areas of concern and and going out and addressing those issues and um, really creating a navigable channel. It's we have so much water coming through the system, but you know if it's not um, channelized, it's um, it's really a wasted resource for um, for our state. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's important. Uh, you know, I've been in, in many of those meetings with uh, 
over the years with the navigators and it's important that they are you know listening to the, the navigators i think better than ever before um uh, got a great um individual there with the core and dane morris you know leading the charge and worked with dane for a, a number of years now but i'm thinking about the uh the flood control benefit to this as well. You know, when you have uh, properly defined and functioning navigation channel, that that uh, water isn't being, you know, uh, jammed into one of the banks and eroding private property too. So, you know, as, as we say, navigation and flood control always go hand in hand and they are so closely linked. You really can't have one uh, without the other. Um, so we'll see a lot of, uh, a lot of benefits to, uh, to, to farmers along the river and private property owners that their, their banks are more likely to, uh, to stay in place with these, uh, enhanced, uh, rock dikes and structures out there. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And Dean, you have been, a an excellent advocate for, um, not only navigation, but how that channel affects and protects, um, the, the, the farmers and the levee systems that we have in our state. We, we really appreciate your efforts. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. It's so important to our, our local, uh, communities, um, economic development, uh, you know, it's something that's near and dear to my heart, uh, having grown up, uh, near Herman, Missouri, my family farms at the, the river bottoms and, you know, full, full disclosure too. I've got a family member that's involved in the commercial towing business that works a lot with you. So, uh, Feel like we cover the whole whole gamut with my family, and and it's good to have that background. Um, but talk, Lucy. You know, one of the things I really admire about you is, you know, again, in addition to your advocacy, you're always looking forward about you know new opportunities on the river. Um, now, your company, and remember, we did a letter of support for that at Missouri Farm Bureau, but uh, your company just uh, received what nearly nine million dollar uh, grant from the Maritime Administration to develop a container on barge shipping at ASB. So can you talk about that process and what you uh, envision uh, there? And then ultimately, you know, here at Missouri Farm Bureau, uh, it always gets back to uh, what will those opportunities, uh, you know, how will that transition into new opportunities for our, our farmers? Well, Dan, I got to tell you, we are very excited. We're the first private company that has received a port infrastructure development grant. And um, it was, it was a lot of work. And, you know, my, my team at ASB, I mean, all my guys and, and um, ladies just stepped up and, and really put a year of work in focusing. We started off by doing a port development week where we brought in some outside experts because most of the people at our facility have spent their whole career there. And, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't be any prouder of our folks, but we wanted people to come in from the outside and to get some fresh eyes. And so we spent a week um, in uh, 2021, November, 2021, just going over our facility with a fine tooth comb and seeing what we could do to become more efficient. And, you know, at ASB, we realize we're not making anything. We are moving product and, and we're, a, we're a customer service entity. So our customers being the farmers in the area rely on us to um, move product as efficiently as we can. And not only as efficiently, but you know we're pretty conscientious about the number of trucks we're taking off the highway and the safety impact that that has on our state and also the reduced CO2 emissions because 
You know, I'm not sure a lot of our farmers would know how environmentally friendly um, barge transportation is and the safety aspect. So when we started looking at this, we were looking at a way that our our organization could remain healthy through the highs and lows of um, agriculture, because as you know, um, it there are ebbs and flows in this industry as in any other industry. Um, so we started looking at what other products we could move to act as a hedging mechanism. Um, and, and in doing that, we became more familiar with um, containerized products. Some, one of the, some of the products that we move through our port um, would be um, dried distiller grains, and those are a great um, product to be able to move in containers. And a lot of them are, you know, being moved from our local ethanol industry um, to being trucked to Kansas City to go onto containers to be shipped someplace else. We also handle some non-GMO product and some organic product that it's really hard to accumulate those quantities, barge quantities, if you will, of those type of products. Um, so we we started having some conversations with the Missouri Department of Ag about um, the potential for using containers for agricultural products. And, and that started off as a conversation, you know, eight to 10 years ago that we started talking about this. And fast forward, um, as I mentioned before, all of our product comes in through the Gulf and anything that goes on a barge goes out through the Gulf. And Dan, I'm sure you know this, but the, the Port of New Orleans um, recently uh, announced a $1.8 billion investment in a state-of-the-art container facility on the lower Missouri River. Um, the new Louisiana International Terminal in St. Bernard's Parish um, will be able to serve vessels of all sizes. So we've gone out to other industries and identified where containers are coming into our region and unfortunately, all of those were going out empty. So we're just trying to look at one more way to increase the efficiency um, in the supply chain. And, yeah. you know, that's that's what we do is we're, you know, we're one of the links in the supply chain. Um, and so we really want to figure out how we can best fully utilize our port. So the, the funds that we received from the Port Infrastructure Development Program grant will add a new dock that can be used not only for um, uh, containers, but also will be another input um, location for fertilizer. Um, so we'll have a 200 foot long sheet pile dock um, that'll be um, safe and you know will give us a third dock at our facility. Um, those uh, funds will also be able be used for a rail spur that's coming into our facility and also for additional fertilizer storage so that when we do get those large quantities, we can hold on to them and um, get them out into the marketplace. Okay. Um, so when do you expect, you know, all this to be finished and uh, when can a, can a uh, central Missouri farmer uh, expect, uh, you know, his or her product to, uh, to be loaded on a container, like what's the what's the timeline you estimate? 
You know, when you're working with the government grant, there are more hoops to jump through than I ever imagined. So our first, you know, our first line of business is getting the contract signed um, for the grant. And obviously we have uh, NEPA work to do ahead of that. Um, So our timeline, we're looking at completion of 2025. Um, And and I think we're going to see opportunities prior to that. Um, for containers coming in or going out of our port um, via truck or rail. Um, And then, you know, depending on the the finishing timeframe for the dock, uh, the dock probably will be done the end of 2024 and and we're going to be geared up and ready to go. That's great. Well, uh, we want to be invited to the ribbon cutting, Lucy, and celebrate with you. Uh, Absolutely. Again, again, I think I think others on the river are going to be watching this again. Um, you all are uh, a leader um, all the way around. Uh, ASB is, and uh, I think you know you can demonstrate the success of this, and others are going to want to try to to emulate that. So, hats off to you all for your your vision, your hard work, and you know, all those hoops you're, you're jumping through with, with, uh, government funding, but, uh, in the end, it'll be worth it and, uh, be moving the, moving the needle for our, for our farmers. And that is appreciated. Um, I think, uh, you know, one of the, uh, always when it comes to the Missouri river, people want to know about, uh, the endangered species act issues when it comes to management of the river. I know you're right in the center of that, uh, uh, we, we can talk about that here a little bit, some more about the committee that you and I are, are both on, but, uh, can you talk about just, um, you know, maybe high level about, you know, as a, uh, the most, you know, active port on the river, how do those set of issues, you know, what issues are we dealing with? And then, uh, how does that, um, uh, impact your, your operations? Well, over the years, we've been, very frustrated with a lot of the actions that were taken um, related to the Endangered Species Act. And, and as you know, primarily the pallid sturgeon. And, and here's the deal, Dan, and you know this too, um, your farmers, my farmers, anybody that's related to the industry, nobody wants the extinction of a species on their back. Right. And, and we believe in, 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 taking care and having a healthy system uh, that's going to protect us all, including the fish. Um, we feel that there have been some management actions that have been um, very detrimental to our industry, have cost the taxpayer um, millions and millions and millions of dollars and have not benefited the fish. And and I know that um, you and I have had extensive conversations about this. Um, many years ago, there were um, shallow water habitats that were built um, for the pallid sturgeon. Um, and they were basically side channels that were created. And the deal is, is that water is going to take the shortest course and it's going to go downstream. And so these side channels were drawing water out of the navigation channel. And with such force that they were creating these side channels that were 34 foot deep, 36 foot deep, 38 foot deep, just some really um, mammoth side channels. And they were pushing sediment out into the navigation channel. And, you know, we we were talking earlier about um, stoppages that we'd had, and most of them were related to these side channels. 
They were pushing sediment out into our channel and creating a seven foot deep navigation channel. And I think one of the things we haven't talked about is that we're, you know, we're guaranteed through um, the Corps of Engineers and Acts of Congress to have a nine foot deep by 300 foot wide channel. And these um, shallow water habitats were neither shallow nor great habitats. And they were not serving the pallid sturgeon and they were absolutely not serving navigation. Um, so, you know, you have just been a forerunner in, in assisting, you know, all of the rest of us that, that use this river and li live along this system to, to making changes to those side channels. Um, yeah. And, and I'm pretty thankful for that. And, you know, we've got a, um, a more responsive younger group, and I shouldn't say younger, a really engaged group of engineers in the Kansas City office now that are making, um, and not only in the Kansas City office, but through Fish and Wildlife, that are making concerted efforts to um, uh, to listen to the human considerations. And the human considerations is a group that you chair so eloquently and I think has made a huge impact on um on the health of our system for, for, for the navigators and for the farmers. Well, thank you. And, and that's kind of a nice segue into my next uh, topic, which I hinted at. Um, so you and I served together on the Missouri River Recovery Implementation Committee, or Mr. Rick, you know, and for our listeners, that's a 70 member committee of, of stakeholders from uh, Missouri to Montana. So really nothing else exists like it in the country uh, that we've been told. Uh, you know, uh, again, authorized by Congress. And our, our job is to advise the Corps of Engineers and Fish and Wildlife Service on these management actions and how it impacts, um, you know, human uses of the river. And of course, there are stakeholders there, um, you know, representing fish and wildlife and really any sort of industry or interest group segment that you can imagine. Um, we spent a lot of time together in Omaha and Sioux Falls, right, Lucy? More time than we care to admit. But, uh, you know, so can you talk about, you know, why? I mean, uh, I, I'm glad that you said yes when I asked you a few years ago to to uh, represent uh, navigation on that uh, committee. I represent agriculture. Um, but tell our listeners, you know, why it's important that we spend the time there. Uh, I mean, you and I both have lots of other things to do, but uh, from your perspective, uh, why is that important to be at that table? Well, because it it does strongly affect the management of our of our system that that you and I both rely on. And um, you know, one of the things you mentioned, and and I never had any idea how this would play out. That there's um, that there are so many stakeholders that are represented. Whether you know, like you said, you represent agriculture, I represent navigation. There's um, people that represent just waterways industry, which um, hydropower and tribes and, and on and on and on so many stakeholders, but in a format like this, um, to make a decision and to make a recommendation, it requires a full consensus. And that means that if somebody votes, no, a recommendation does not go forward. And as you know, you and I've both seen it. Those are those are hard positions to be in when you're the only one around the table with the thumbs down, but, but it really, um, it creates a, a platform for people to work together in an unprecedented manner. And, um, 
And it's really crucial for our system because, you know, as we were talking earlier about the things that were done for the pallid sturgeon were um, hugely detrimental to the navigation industry. And I think you would say to our farmers as well and to the protection of the um, of the banks that right. um, that hold levees that protect their farms. So, yeah, you had mentioned, you know, the shallow water habitat, you know, construction that we're now living with. Uh, thankfully, the agencies have moved on from that because the science has gotten better. And, uh, you know, they would tell you that they know a whole lot more about pallid surgeon than they did in the uh, 2000s when those shoot uh, projects were being built. But, you know, that wasn't an open process at all. You know, they're a group of, you know, uh, science, um, you know, leaders in, in the agencies got together and they they came up with a plan that they thought was going to be the best thing for for the fish recovery, and then you know the public really didn't have uh, much of a much of a say like we do now with with Mr. Rick, where we can be at the table and we can can uh, be interacting with uh, those uh, senior leadership folks from uh, both the Army Corps and Fish and Wildlife Service, and like, hey, you know, let's not uh, repeat the mistakes of the past, and let's let's go slow on future. Uh, fish projects, you know, you know, I, I like to say we can walk and chew gum at the same time. We ought to be able to maintain a navigation channel that's helpful for uh, commerce, um, but also provide benefits uh, for uh, species as well. But anything uh, you'd like to add on that front? Well, yeah, I think you made a good point that that during this process, and and we have probably slowed things down some, but during that time period, they have learned a lot about what the species needs that they did not know. And I think really they're going to be able to make um, better decisions about how to protect the species. And one of the things that, that, um, you know, we've talked a lot about over the last couple of years is what they call the, the hot spots. And now I think they're calling them areas of high capture and, and areas that, consistently they can catch pallid sturgeon. And the thing that I found really interesting, Dan, was that all of these hotspots are in locations where we have no navigational issues, we have no bank erosion, and where we have um, dredgers that are actively participating. So I think these hotspots are a classic example of, of what our river system should look like. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Lucy, we've, we've covered a lot here today. Is there anything, uh, anything else that, uh, that we should talk about or listeners might be interested? Anything that well, I haven't asked you? And, you know, I, uh, you gave me some great notes to go by, but one of the things we haven't talked about that, that will, uh, you and I are really laser focused on going forward is the, um, IRCs, the, Interception rearing complexes, which are the next management action for the pallid sturgeon. And, you know, all of these can only be built because of actions of the Missouri River Recovery Implementation Commission. They can only be built next to public lands. And um, that process has been slowed down. There's two that are constructed right now. And and we're going to be keeping an eye on these. And, um, you know, there's... um, 12 that are slated to be built um i don't know in the like between lexington and the, in the mouth right yes, uh, yes roughly for for our listeners so kind of west west central missouri to 
the confluence with the Mississippi. Yeah, and we're going to be keeping a good eye on those and make sure that there aren't any um, unintended consequences from those. Right. Yeah. We ultimately we want uh, you know structures that enhance pallid sturgeon that do not harm the navigation flood control industries and you know that benefit um, you know species and uh, the taxpaying public. So uh, you know let's, yeah, I, let's I think that's a great point, and I yes. I think that the engineers are now looking at the IRCs and concepts for the IRCs that potentially will benefit not only um, the pallid sturgeon, but um, navigation and the other authorized purposes of the river. And I think that's what we really want is a system that benefits um, all of us. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Lucy, anything else? Not that I can think of. We did cover a lot and I'm sure it was, it was, um, uh, maybe not that interesting for a lot of people, but I'm in and I'm glad you are too, Dan. Yeah. You know, it's a great asset for our state, you know, roughly, uh, you know, half of Missourians get their drinking water from the Missouri river. You talked about the, uh, the flow support to the Mississippi, which is so important. The Mississippi has been in focus in, in the last uh, couple of months for low water reasons, but yeah, there, there's a, there's a lot that hinges on that river that runs through the middle of our state, cuts right through the middle. Uh, so important. Uh, no, thanks for taking time, Lucy. Uh, again, always great to talk to you. And uh, so there you have it, folks. Uh, Lucy, again, thank you uh, for joining, uh, digging yeah. in with me. And uh, thanks to our listeners for tuning in. This is Dan Ingeman signing off. Take care.